Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. Today we're talking about stakes in storytelling, how to create stakes, high stakes. Stake, you hammer a stake into the ground. Not that type. No. The type where the conflict means something very important to you and success. You have no choice but to succeed. Failure would be the end of everything for you. High for stakes. You. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do you create high stakes but in a small-scale story, a non-end-of-the-world plot, which tends to be very, very common. Yeah. Um, or even just life-or-death, a life-or-death situation. Um, how do you do that for stories that don't include... It, it is hard to find examples. They're few and far between, but there, mm-hmm. are, there are many there, and I, and I think that we have the answer for how to do that. Before we do that, there is uh, three news stories in particular this week that we wanted to touch on. The first one, a lot of Switch news this week. First, a Nintendo Switch Lite yeah. was announced. A handheld-only Switch that's a little bit smaller, a little more, um, I guess, portable, um, but does not have detachable Joy-Cons, and which would make it incompatible with certain games. I think you brought up Mario Party at the beginning. Yeah, Mario Party or 1-2 Switch, things like that. Now, one thing yeah. I am interested in, could you take Joy-Cons and sync them to yes. the Switch Lite? I, my understanding is that, yes, you can do that. So you could technically yeah. still play Mario yeah, Party. Yeah, but here's the thing. The, the Switch Portable doesn't have a kickstand. So mm. you could sync your normal switch controllers to the switch light but how you how you actually play it on the switch light is is, put a rock in the back of it (laughs) yeah you got to prop it up somehow and then you and then you can play on a tiny screen i guess but i don't see that being super useful yeah so anyways certain games were to be either incompatible or more difficult but the draw was it had a higher battery life i think the original switch's battery life depending on the game you're playing how intense it is uh, w- with its power draw, would be anywhere from what two to six hours, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I never got six, but <laughs> I never played like tiny. I uh, think I've gotten close. I think I've gotten close to about four, four and a half, yeah. because I've played games like Hyper Light Drifter or yeah, I played Shovel Knight for a while, and that that one wasn't too intense, I guess. Final Fantasy Seven or yeah, you know. Golf Story. Yeah. I might have gotten. I played Golf Story on the TV though, so I don't know. I mostly play on the TV as well. So I'm never actually out playing that thing long enough to actually drain its entire battery anyways. Yeah. Um, when I go on my vacation in August, it will probably, on the flights and stuff, I probably will be close to that. Yeah. But So I'm going to see there if there's... <sighs> I, I just never travel, though. There's no point in buying it anyways. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing about this, though, Right is that yeah, right after they announced this after they announced the Switch Lite, which it seemed like the entire draw was this is a more portable system and it's a hundred dollars cheaper. I can't forget to mention that that that's a big one. So it's two hundred dollars rather than three hundred dollars. So I think a yeah. lot of people will pick it up just because it's a lot more affordable. Yeah, but right after they announced that, uh, they then announce a new base Switch model. Let me put it on the screen here. Oops, I have it on the wrong side. Hold on. Move that over there. 
move this over here. There we go. Um, and this one is basically the same thing as the base model of the Switch you have right now, except it has a way, way longer battery life. So here it is. The, the original Switch had a battery life of between 2.5 and 6.5 hours, depending on the game or application that you're playing. Mm. The new Switch model has a 4.5 to 9-hour battery life. Which is crazy. That's really, really good. Yeah. Like, really good. Um, I think that the, the, the Switch Lite's battery life was between 3 to 7 hours. So it, it really only mm. increased it by half an hour to an hour-ish at most. More battery life than you would have gotten the base Switch. Which is better, but not, like, significantly better. Hmm. The new base model for the Switch is significantly better. It's like two to three hours more. So it's like I I struggle to understand unless you you really can't save up the money for it or something like that. Why right. you would even consider the Switch Lite because the Switch is still portable and it has a longer battery life portable, and you get yeah. more features with it and you can take the Joy Cons off and you have yeah. access to all the games all the library. Like, why would you buy the Switch Lite? It's almost like the I don't Switch Lite it. needs to be even cheaper. It needs to be like 150 or something. Yeah. Not like, it, because it just doesn't, it doesn't seem like a very good deal anymore. It's like an okay deal, I guess. I did have one thought, though. The, the, the new Switch, sometimes, and this just happens in general when you're making um, electronics, but as you continue to have the switches assembled and you continue to have the the chips and everything manufactured. Uh, sometimes it actually makes more sense and it's cheaper as a business decision to go with a newer chipset because it's being more uh, mass produced and it's actually cheaper to make it than for you to continue ordering the 2016 chip over and over that they have to then go back and make when at the moment they're currently making all of these um these 2019 ones that are better, faster, and they're mass produced like crazy. And it's actually cheaper to just kind of go with one of those. So I don't even know that the switch necessarily like tried to outdo itself to outdo the light. (laughs) I think it just kind of happened that way. And they're like, well, it was cheaper to go with these things and it makes the battery life longer. So why not? (laughs) Well, we still got the switch light, so we'll just do both, I guess. Like, all right. See, now this is something that I've said in the past. This is why, it's it's such a hard thing because the people who support a console or a product at launch make possible the future iteration that is better, right? But yeah. it's like I almost always feel like why buy the thing at launch? If you wait a couple of years, you're going to get a superior version of it. It's almost and like that, when the PS5 comes out, that's when you should buy a PS4. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not only would it be cheaper and you got a massive library of games, but... It's the only downside is you can't play the brand new, you know, Breath of the Wild, the brand new game yeah, as soon true. as it comes out. But if you're just okay with that, you know, you can spend well, a lot less money and play some pretty killer everybody, games. Everybody, wait. Everybody has such a huge backlog now to yeah. where it's like, unless it's just like a, there's no way I can miss a brand new game from my favorite franchise, right? Like, I just gotta have it when it's brand new. Yeah. And to is it- me, that is growing smaller and smaller all the time. I think so. 
where it's like my backlog is so huge that I'm just excited to play Grandia as I am <laughs> to play anything coming out this year. Anything you know I mean? new. Yeah. Like, I've heard such great things. I haven't tried it out yet. You know, I have probably a hundred games like that where it's like I'd be yeah. just as excited to play that for the first time than something that came up brand new. So it's like mm. my backlog's so huge anyways. It's not like I'm going to have a lack of games to play while I wait for a better model of this new console. That'll be cheaper and perform better and everything else. Yeah. Um, I want to take a look at the comparisons for battery life on other things, though. So the Nintendo Switch Lite, three to seven hours, uh, which is one and a half to two hours fewer than this new uh, Switch model. Yeah. Um. We have the new 2DS XL. This is what really surprised me. The new 2DS XL has one to two and a half fewer hours. The new 2DS, so this doesn't have the 3D capability, right? Gets between three and a half to six and a half hours of battery life. Like, what the fetch? How is the Switch battery, which has like 720p in undocked, uh, much more intensive in terms of like, graphical capability like far out outweighing the 2ds xl it's crazy uh we have the yeah. the 3ds is one to three hours fewer it only goes up to about six hour battery life <coughs> you know it, a lot of people were complaining about the switch's battery life when it came out but it was like dude the 3ds Pretty is like average. the same yeah hmm. 3ds xl gets 3.5 to 7 which is one to two hours fewer than the new switch model uh, we got a 2DS, one to three, and th- that one really surprised me. Just the regular 2DS, like that brick thing that doesn't like fold at all. Yeah, that's crazy. I, that thing, I, is it just the two screens? Is it the two screens yeah. and maybe a touch screen might? Yeah. I don't know. Like there's something about it that's just not, and it's not it's, as big, it, although it was that, still pretty big. That thing only gets three and a half to five and a half hours. Wow, that's crazy. That's, that's like worse than the, the switches we have already. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, we got the PS Vita Slim gets uh, half an hour to three hours fewer. So it goes four to six hours. So that even that maximum is six hours for the PS Vita. Mm-hmm. Uh, the PSP, same same deal, about four to six hours. So could be up to three hours fewer than the new Switch model. Uh, Nintendo, the Nintendo DS Lite got five to eight hours, a little bit higher than most of these other things. But that that could still be, you know, fewer, uh, up to at least an hour fewer than... uh... Now, here's where we get some devices that had higher battery life. But if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember if the original DS model had a rechargeable battery. I think it did. Hmm. But I didn't get the Nintendo DS until the light came out. So yeah, that's a good question. I know that the light, you had a rechargeable battery, you plugged it in the wall, you recharged it. I don't... I don't know about the Nintendo DS. That might have maybe had double A's you stick in there, which might be the determining factor here because it gets 10 hours of battery life. Someone correct me in the comments if I'm wrong on that. But beyond that, we have the Game Boy Advance, which got 7 to 10 hours. That was also rechargeable. The Game Boy Advance SP, the foldable one, you plugged that in, right? That one, I I don't think it was thick enough. For to have uh, just extra batteries, I think it was rechargeable. I think it, it was too. It also had the backlight, um, 
Mm-hmm. The backlighting, the which the original Advance, I don't, I did don't, did not have. Had. Yeah, that's actually a good point because the which Game I Boy think... Advance, the game, the regular Game Boy Advance had 15 hours. That's probably why. Yeah, it didn't have a backlight, and it was just double A's. <laughs> it just you stick double A's in there, yeah. which is the drawback. Like you have to them. buy, you have to buy batteries every yeah. time. Yeah. But had no backlight, gets 15 hours, which is nuts. Uh, game Boy Color got 10 hours. The Game Boy, original Game Boy, got 15 hours. So, unless you're going back to, like, really primitive stuff that had no backlight on it and required that you stick double A's in it, this is, like, one of the highest battery life devices I can think of in recent memory. Yeah, At least for gaming. Cool. I don't know uh, what, like, an iPad gets, generally speaking. <laughs> well, I don't know either, actually. I don't think it... I don't think well, it's that high. I know, like, um, the Air... The iPad Airs, like the newer models, were, did get somewhere around eight hours, I think. Mm. But that was operating on flash memory, and they're pretty big still. So you can fit a pretty dang big battery inside of those just because the screen's so big. Yeah. Yeah, people are confirming the SP, the Game Boy Advance SP, was the first Nintendo handheld that did not uh, use AA's. You, had to, uh, you could recharge hey. it. Um, oh yeah, if you're playing a game on an iPad though, you don't get very much time. <laughs> Felhart's saying four to five hours, depending on how intense the game is. Yeah, yeah. See, so it's yeah. There you go. Like yeah. it feels like this new Switch model's battery life is about as high as you can get on like a modern device of this type, which is nuts. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So I think that's worth getting. And this is yeah, another so. thing. It's pretty cool. Oh, although it doesn't improve the performance, it just improves the battery life. But that, yes. you know, if you if you take things places ever, then that's totally worth it. This I don't last, do it very often. But. The last, I want to say, month. Um, maybe since E3 a little bit, but definitely during mm-hmm. the last month, the Switch has become my favorite console oh, cool. of the consoles out right now. Yeah. Right. Like I think early on in its life cycle, I didn't play it very much. Yeah. I was like, it was my favorite, okay. like the month it came out. Yeah. Cause it did come out with some pretty cool games. It yeah. just then didn't have many more cool games for a very long it time. It took a while. Yeah. Yeah. And like I played the PlayStation a lot. Yeah. But all of a sudden, it feels all of a sudden. It hasn't been. It's been very gradual. Lots and lots of releases over time. But it felt like all of a sudden, because I just opened it up and I was like, wait a minute. There's a pretty substantial library here. And on top of that, here's what really excites me about it, mm. is The Witcher 3 is coming, which oh. is the whole thing we've been talking about since the yes. thing launched. Can yeah. you downscale graphics enough to have a modern game made for PC and other yeah, consoles that are more powerful than Switch, can you um, scale it down enough to get it to work on the Switch? And I think, depending on how the performance is for that game in particular on the Switch, to me it would just be like a, a no-brainer. Like, yes, you're <coughs> sacrificing the highest quality of the game if you were to play it on 4k display on your pc or something like maximize the settings but it's portable and all of a sudden portability has become more important to me than it ever has really like Hmm. being able to take it on the train i ride the train a lot or whatever oh that's Um, true that's true you do yeah like it really helps pass the time so like 
just like the thought that I could have this game on any one of these platforms used to be, I would rather have it on PC. I want to play at the highest settings, but slowly I've been convinced that I would actually rather have it be portable. That's what I want more. And so for that reason alone, I think the only thing the switch is missing for me now, because the library's there, um, it's just got this feel to it, like in the menus and stuff, like the, the sounds and the clicks and the, like Nintendo oh, in their menus, their menus and their menu design and their sound effects and all that stuff, they capture like a certain spirit of fun, right? Whereas when you're in like the PlayStation menu, it's like this airy sort of like mysterious, cool feel, right? Mm. And it, it sort of embodies to me the difference in philosophy of the two companies and where you fall is a matter of taste. Right. Uh, but it's like, especially the menu music of older Nintendo consoles, which I think the switch still needs. They need to put some menu music in there. It's just fun. I've just love to sit on the menu and just like, listen to that. It's like, sit back yeah, and listen I'm to like that music for a while. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, they're yeah. capturing to me. It's cool because I'll be playing maybe something intense. Uh, let's say I was playing Resident Evil 4 or something on the mm-hmm. Wii or something like pretty hardcore. And then I come out and I just like the tension is all released by this like fun, quirky yeah. menu music. And it's just like, dude, video games are awesome. I freaking love this. <laughs> yeah. The Switch needs that menu music. But I mean, it, even still, I exit the game and it's like I just f- there's a feeling about it that I really, really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that embodies a philosophy. It's in all of their marketing with the the, the click, the yeah, like they sound really, effect. Everything's in the background, and anytime you move, that boop, that like clicky sound, it's very it stands out a lot. And what Bieberman's saying too, I love the flexibility at home is important. I can play it in bed on the couch, or when my wife wants the TV. It is such a versatile system, and even with your controllers, it's versatile. Right, you can play it. Uh, docked with a pro controller, how I usually play it, because that pro controller feels really good in the hands. Or you can take it out and you have the controllers on the system and you're playing it. Or you can take the two Joy-Cons off, hold them in either hand, lay around, like freaking twist your arms behind your yeah, head, dude, whatever's you comfortable, just and just play the game. It's crazy. Yeah, I freaking love this thing, though. It's become It's become my favorite console of whatever you want to call it. I know the generations are screwed up because Nintendo releases a new one. In I know the they do the, of mid, the old one. The mid and it's just thing, like, yeah. <laughs> who knows what co- freaking generation it is? Who cares? Of right. the consoles, modern consoles out right now, the Switch is my favorite one. And uh, anyways. Yeah. It'll be exciting to see now that like most AAA studios are kind of on board with it. Because you know, we got Doom and Doom Eternal, like Bethesda has ported some yeah, modern Bethesda's games to on. it. If yeah. The Witcher 3 works, if it performs, if it holds steady its frame rate, if there's not yeah. you know, a problem with it, <laughs> well, it's, it's like, well, it, should be, it shouldn't be a problem. But. Why can't Kingdom Hearts 3 or Final Fantasy 7 Remake or anything right. else come to it? Because right. I don't think that those games are even remotely as complex open world-wise yeah. to The Witcher 3. There's not as much it has to keep track of, I wouldn't think. So who's to say those couldn't be, especially in Unreal Engine, scaled down to, to work on Switch? Anyways, mm. cool stuff. I like the Switch um, a lot. Uh, Hydrated Cloth says that uh, the processor is more efficient. 
but the battery is the same in the new switch. Really? Yeah. And so it's so just the, the processor that changed. They just got a better processor, but um, because the graphics card is the same, I think it seems, but the processor's mm. faster. It affects the battery life. It doesn't really affect performance, right? So you won't necessarily get higher performance, but you will get longer battery life. So it's just a more efficient, more efficient process. Probably not worth trading in and getting a new one for, but no, no, <laughs> still cool. If you haven't gotten one yet. Yeah. If you haven't got one yet, this would be the one to get for sure. It's the one I wish awesome. I had because we got the freaking first switch ever made. <laughs> and then hydrated cloth just said, it's the same processor in the mini, a new revision. Oh, Oh, I couldn't tell which one you were talking about, I guess. Oh, same oh, process. Okay. So a new processor in the new one, the same processor in the mini, a new revision. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, how about that? Well, <laughs> All right. Crazy. Well, anyways, stuff to keep your eye on. Looks cool. Let's mm -hmm. move on to our next topic, which is uh, trailers. We have a couple of trailers from Comic-Con. Comic-Con was this last week. Yeah. And um, I'm a big Star Trek fan. <laughs> well, excuse me. Oh, like old Star Trek. New yeah. Star Trek is, I mean, absolute garbage. They're like, action movies, you know, they're fun. I only seen the first one though. I haven't seen any of the others. The 2008, uh, the first new one, the Chris Pine 2008. That's that's actually a better Star Wars movie than it is a Star Trek movie. Yes, yeah, sure, sure. I agree. <laughs> it's a better Star Wars movie than the current Star Wars movies. Yes, it is. <laughs> um a lot of people are upset about the new direction of Star Wars and everything and how, you know, depressing it is. I think what they've done to Star Trek in recent times is way worse. It's than worse. Done to Star way yeah. worse. It's such a departure. It has, it has no idea what its own identity is anymore. It's it's sure. really bad. Absolutely. So, J.J. Abrams, he may have helped ticket sales for a little while, but uh, he kind of made it into something that it was never supposed to be. Supposed it's all about to be. freaking fighting now, and it wasn't well, really supposed to be like that. Even before that, when the next generation movies killed it. <laughs> Yeah. Killed it dead, absolutely. Mm. Um, even then, it was really struggling to, to to know, like, how do we take something that's meant to be cerebral and thoughtful and philosophical, but, like, make it into a movie, right? You got to insert all this action into it. And it just became so dumb. Um, so it's it struggled for a long time to, like, know how to, you know, find an audience. For with it seems without reason. The answer seems obvious, but they don't seem to get it. Anyways, I was not particularly. How do I put it? I had a lot of doubts about this Picard show. It could be. Yeah. It, I mean the the concept of it could be awesome, but I just don't trust anyone working there. It is going to be on CBS All Access, which pisses me off. I'm not going to oh, buy a new subscription it, service. Everyone's unless, freaking doing this now. Unless yeah. it's it's amazing. Unless everyone's yeah. just raving about it. And then get no your one month do it. get out. <laughs> yeah. Cancel it. Jeez, so stupid. Anyways, um, I saw the trailer, though. I would put the trailer on the screen, but our freaking video will get flagged if we do that. Actually, you know what? I don't care. This is a freaking... This isn't the main channel. Let me pull it up. Just kind of play in the background. <laughs> Rest <laughs> Let in them peace. claim it. Let them claim it. Let's put it on the screen here. Um, it surprised me 
a little bit. It actually looks okay. I, I will do it without sound, though. Oh, good. That at least will help us not get totally screwed. <laughs> we'll see. But there were some lines of dialogue towards the beginning that felt cheesy. They're derivative. It's like, uh, this is going to be, you know. <clears throat> but there were parts of it that really surprised me. Um, certain casting choices. They're bringing back uh, Seven of Nine from uh, from Voyager, the the half Borg lady. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they're bringing her back, which I did not see coming at all. But that's kind of cool. And you know, at the beginning there, they showed Data because I think in the last Data, Star yeah. Trek, the next, the last generation, or, sorry, the last next generation movie data like sacrificed his life to like save the crew right so he died i guess that's a spoiler for that movie who's gonna watch oh sorry <laughs> who's gonna watch the worst star trek movie ever made it's like know. 20 years old right I mean, <laughs> it's horrible it's really bad you shouldn't watch it anyway so just knowing that i mean they said it right here in the trailer he's dead right it showed it so they spoiled the movie before i did anyways real quick though yeah. Oh, never mind. Sorry, Colin Peluso said that the podcast went offline. But if if it's only for him, then never mind. It it's probably Check. a problem on his end. Check. Uh dude, McGuy says it didn't it didn't drop. So yeah, it looks like we're on. Okay. Okay. No. Uh, oh, okay. Sorry, Colin. That's your okay. Cool. But uh, oh, another Colin. thing. Another thing people were really wondering about is um, what kind of story they're going to tell here. Is he going to be? He's not going to captain a ship. Obviously, he's retired from Starfleet. Like, but they're kind of handling this in a way where he's he's going to have some level of like influence on on the bridge. Uh, you, you know, oh, th- they all respect. They all respect. No, uh, Picard. They all oh, respect Picard, his um respect his authority. <laughs> <laughs> so they defer to him a little bit, right? And he's kind of rediscovering that part of. Okay, here's where they show seven and nine. That was awesome. Um, and then the real surprising part was at the very end after they show the titles of the show and then fetching he's back, people. Data. Data is back. Did not expect that either at all. So Data's like literally the best part of the whole original I love Data, dude. I love Data's Data. Beast. And then that reading rainbow guy. That was like... Yep. Uh, LaForge, he's awesome LeVar too. LaVar Burton, yeah. And it's like, dude... Got to break. So, I would I would use my mom's like hair, Brett. Or yeah, dude, I did that too. I put it over my eyes and I pretend to be him because he was yes. Oh, that you was did so that cool. too. And then data. Okay. Here's the funny thing with data. Is he CG or not? I couldn't tell. Nope, he's not. That's fetching. Okay. That's fetching the real actor. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so awesome. the premise seems to be based on this girl I'm showing on the screen right now. Um, Picard. She he she comes to him saying like she needs his help it's a little bit vague as to like what her deal is but something right. uh which is what we're going to get into after these topics about like high stakes the the fate of the universe <laughs> the yeah. fate of the world How something <laughs> about her is going to affect the fate of the galaxy or whatever something's going on there and the only hint that I feel like they give is that they show her while they're describing that and then they show a Borg cube like right after that. So mm. I have a feeling there must, she must be some kind of like, she's attached to the Borg somehow, but in a way to where she's like indistinguishable from a human being. 
I don't know what they're trying to say with this, but there's definitely she has some connection to the Borg. I feel. Well, Hat eighty nine says Jonathan Frakes is supposed to Commander Riker. He's supposed to make an appearance also. That's awesome too. But that he's um, he is directing a few episodes. Whoa! That that makes I sense because that. he became a he became he directed a lot of episodes of the original series of the original um, well, Next Generation series. Yeah, Hat eighty nine mentioned that he directed first and, contact and and well. he directed some of the, yeah the movies. Uh, I think it was first contact, which was I didn't the know best. That. That's interesting. Wow. He's he's a good director. I watched um, a his lot of, Beyond Belief Fact or Fiction show. That was pretty cool. That was really good, too. <laughs> um, but, yeah, mo- a lot of the best episodes of The Next Generation in, in the like, sort of, like, second half of the show were directed by him. He's, like, super good director. Mm. And, and it makes sense because that cast was really tight with each other. They were mm. all really good friends. So if... if, uh, if um, oh, what's the actor's name? Plays John Luke Picard. What the fetch? Oh, oh, dude, man. Um, <laughs> Professor X. <laughs> <laughs> what the Xavier, F, Charles Xavier. Completely um, blanking on his name. What is his name? Someone's uh, going to say it. I'm looking it up. It's... Wait. Patrick Stewart. Thank you. Stewart. Jeez. I, went, I couldn't find that anywhere. <laughs> Patrick so, Stewart. If Patrick Stewart is going to be in this, right? They're going to bring him back. You know yeah. that like he's going to be pulling to get as many of the original sure. cast in there as possible. That that's the kind of relationship that they had. Um so anyways, mm. it doesn't look terrible. Which I still good, yeah. don't trust anybody who's in charge of Star Trek right now to make something good, but it looks a thousand times more promising than anything else that I've uh, that I've seen from Star Trek in a while. So part of that just could be nostalgia and just the pull. You know, I'm I'm getting I'm getting roped in by the same tactics they use on freaking everything now. They're trying to get all the kids who grew up with the stuff in the 80s and 90s back again. As long One as they do it ride. right, it's a fine tactic. But when it's cheaply done and it's like, oh, they'll all watch it even if it sucks. Like, that's when it's really frustrating. Usually I don't get roped in by that. But yeah. in this case, that might be happening. But I just feel like it's it it feels better than anything else Star Trek they've... Any other Star yeah. Trek trailer we've had, especially for TV series, in a long time. Oh, sure. So. Oh, yeah. um... By the way, Colin Peluso's whole, like, the stream went offline, I believe was a joke because we got copyright claimed anyways. Oh, gotcha. I didn't get it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Colin's, Colin's 10 steps ahead of everybody, dude. He's, I know. Can't believe it, man. Can't believe it. We, we just can't can't uh, keep up with the sarcasm. Okay. <laughs> anyways, wanted to bring that up. I think that looks all right. But, of course, I'm going to be waiting until probably long after the show airs because I'm not getting CBS All Access unless that show is a 10 out of 10. Sure. So, And then you can just, once it's all out, just binge it all in one day and just... Yeah. Exactly. yeah hopefully they'll give like a free pass, like a seven-day trial. I, I did that last year that. for HBO. For, yeah, for uh, in, yeah. This year I didn't. This year I had to pay for it, but it was okay because Chernobyl was on there and yeah, a couple good. of other shows I wanted to see. Isn't HBO so, doing big now? Some other a new online venture with some other company. Um, I, I haven't heard about it. WB or something like that. Yeah, their HBO Go is turning into. Anyways, I, I don't really know this. We probably don't have to talk about it. But I believe they're making a new 
streaming service that's going to, they're going to be included in that's going to be like the oh. new Netflix or whatever. Interesting. Yeah, everyone's getting in on this, man. It's going to be, it's going to be weird. Yes, Brent Spiner has data. At 89 says HBO should pay me for watching that last Game of Thrones season. Correct. <laughs> Correct. It was that oh, bad. It. it was that it. bad. It was horrible. Oof. But, and, and it, it sucks that that was the first season in which I paid for the service for HBO. <laughs> but I got Chernobyl and I got, like I said, a bunch of other stuff. I, I'm still paying for it now, even afterwards, because there's still oh. stuff I want to see on there. So. It's, it, I don't know. I'll probably cancel it soon, but I didn't cancel it right after Game of Thrones ended because I needed to get my value out of it. <laughs> Chernobyl's amazing. Everyone should watch it. Watch it twice. It's like the best friggin' thing I've seen in a long time. Okay. Right. Last thing I want to talk about is The Witcher, uh, the Netflix series. Our, I think our most disliked video in the history of our gaming channel was our podcast about the casting of Henry Cavill as Geralt of Rivia oh, in The Witcher. Liked it. Uh, well, I don't know if everyone liked the casting so much as they hated my take on why I didn't like the casting. <laughs> but everyone was like, dude, this is bullcrap. Like, give the guy a chance. You know, that kind of sentiment. Sure, I mean, he's a um, good actor. We'll, we'll see what happens. I think he is okay. Yeah. Right. Because a lot of people were like, "Haven't you seen him in um, in oh, what's the show called? It's about Hen- King Henry the Eighth." Um. Well, the answer to that question is no. <laughs> I haven't. I, I didn't at the time, but I went. Now? I went back as soon as we finished that podcast. Tutors, thank you. Yes, tutors okay, is. Yeah. Because the Tudors, that was like the, the, the dynasty of like that particular line or whatever. Okay. Anyways, Tudors, uh, Henry Cavill plays um, a duke who was kind of like the best friend of King Henry VIII when he was a young man. Mm-hmm. And so he's in the show pretty much all the way through it. Oh, and cool. people were like, haven't you? Because they were trying to find, like, let me see something similar to like to show his range, like what he could do for The Witcher possibly. Um, and I loved the show, by the way, it's actually very, very good. Totally worth seeing really enlightening. Um, it is a, a rated RTV series. It's got nudity and sex, but I mean, this is historical. It's part of like who, I mean, obviously it's historical fiction, but what I'm saying is this is, they're painting King Henry VIII in a certain light that is accurate as to how many con like, mistresses and wives and all the stuff that he had and so anyways it's a good show i thought that henry cavill in particular was he's 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 not he's a competent actor i'm not saying he's bad he's not bad at all i just don't think he's great i don't think he has a phenomenal range i think that he kind of comes across milk toast about the same and everything he's in Better slow down before this becomes the new most disliked podcast. It may become. <laughs> but I can't I can't think of a single performance I've seen where it's like, that dude killed it. This is an Oscar worthy level actor. Okay. You say Oscar like, worthy, <laughs> fine. Fair point. But Mission Impossible Six, he was very good in that. I thought he was wonderful. I thought his character, the way he portrayed his character, is different from any character he's played before. And I thought it was funny and and I thought he did a good job. Just a big, strong, brawling no. <laughs> guy. Like it's 
he's that not... is kind of his thing, I guess. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, the dude is dedicated to his uh, physique. Like, he truly is a big, strong brawler. Yeah. He's 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 legit in terms of like his his strength and his weight training he's and everything like Arnold that. Schwarzenegger again. Yeah. But like, I just. And again, I'm not trying to knock him. I don't. I don't see Henry Cavill in a casting in anything else and go, "Oh man, it's him again." Like I like him. I think he has enough competence on the screen to carry a role, but I don't think he's charismatic enough oh, for sure. a leading role. Sure, sure. Superman might have been the only exception, but even Superman, he wasn't like. Superman. I mean, you know, he wasn't like stand out, and it wasn't like the best Superman movie or anything. It was just, like pretty good, but it wasn't like great. And then, of course, the follow ups to that the the Justice League and the Batman vs Superman those were all terrible movies. So it's hard to judge him <laughs> on the writing there. <laughs> and it's it's a good fair point because you got Zack Snyder directing, and he'll never direct a movie that features an Oscar winning best actor, you know, or maybe the actor from the past won an Oscar, but not in his movie. You know, it's yeah. more on the director in, in a lot of cases than the actor. I, I love hat 89's comment here. Geralt of creatine. <laughs> I don't get that one. I guess creatine is a, is a supplement. Oh, that, it's, um, a, it's okay. No, I got it, you. It, it gives you bigger pumps because you hold more water weight in your muscles. Yeah, I got you. Um, <laughs> that's freaking hilarious. Anyways, with that being said, I had a lot of reservations about this Witcher series. And everything they showed of him in makeup and like his hair, it looked like a bad, like a bad fan made thing. Like it looked so fake. His hair looked fake. His makeup his looked terrible. Look yeah. Everything looked bad. I can confidently say now that from this trailer that I'm going to put on the screen, that the production value of the show is legit it's quite high it it i i i feel better about it having seen this but i don't feel better about the core issue of him playing like that that shot looks good where he's kind of walking toward the screen there i i like this this is the 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 forest they were showing there where siri these there's a lot of stuff i recognize here from the from the novels especially the short stories which is where they are basing that that's what they're adapting here is the the novels. Right. Um, so it so. seems like that they're doing a lot with um, they're doing a lot with Yennefer that has not been shown, but that was hinted at where she was kind of like looked like she's a bit deformed. Um, they're kind of building up Yennefer's origin in a way that they have not done in the novels. So that's kind of interesting. Um, and they've got Siri in here, so they're going to have at least elements of the larger saga coming up. But I think, in particular, a lot of this is going to be based on the short stories. We'll see. Um, a lot of people in that uh, podcast, when we were talking about it, were like, Geralt is kind of this unfeeling, cold character, you know, stoic character anyways. There's, it's not like Geralt has a lot of range to him. So why are you so concerned about it? It's like, no, you guys, there is a lot more range to Geralt. It's a lot more subtle than than you're making it out to be. Um, Geralt definitely has a lot of emotions. He just tries to stifle them. They weren't totally taken from him. Um, a good example would be in, uh, I think it's Blood of Elves, 
towards the beginning of the book, um, he's having a conversation with uh, the other witcher staying at Kaer Morhen, as well as Triss Marigold. <clears throat> and um, she's kind of upset at them for the way that they've been raising Siri there. They've been treating her kind of just like a boy, basically. Um, not very... What do you call it? Em- empathetic to the to the fact that she's becoming a young woman and stuff like that and stuff that she'd be embarrassed about to talk to men, you know, about. But anyways, uh, she gets into a little bit of an argument with Geralt and he he gets like legit pissed off and kind of like yells at her and stuff. And so she because she brings it out of him. She's like, I know you feel emotions. You just stifle them. Like, talk to me. So there is definitely a range to Geralt in the novels. That's just one example of many uh, that that's really important to the character, though, right? Like to capturing that subtlety in him and not just playing it as this I'm stone faced assassin or monster slayer guy is the part. The, the smaller nuances of the character that he shows emotionally. That's the part I'm concerned they won't get right in the show. And is the leading concern I have with Henry Cavill. Not because I think he's bad, but because that's really difficult to to capture. What this particular part of the of the character I think is really tough. Um but Production value on the show looks good. They're definitely um, doing a lot of things there from the short stories. I want to read a couple things from the director here. Or showrunner, I guess. Showrunner Lauren Schmidt uh, Hisrick. She specifically spoke about the books and the original short stories. She says, we're all big fans of the books. We're all big fans of the video games as well. But this is solely based on the books. And that's really where we drew our inspiration from. Starting with the short stories goes on to say, I mean, for me, you can't skip the short stories. It's absolutely where the world building takes place. I totally agree with that. You really need the short stories. And where the foundation of the world is built. But also, Freya is sitting here. Siri is part of our series. So we were also talking about how to make sure we bring her in early enough and make sure Siri has a story of her own as well. So I think audiences are going to be pretty surprised how we managed to wrap it all up in one season of television. Well, we'll probably be surprised. It doesn't necessarily mean we're going to think it works, but I'm at least. We'll be surprised. That's a great. <laughs> You'll be surprised. At... How it is. <clears throat> I probably will be surprised. Going to be like, how the, why the fetch you do that? But <laughs> um, this to me is uh, definitely a for sure. I will watch this because, I mean, Netflix I've had for years, right? It's like, it's no cost to me. Right, I'm sure. gonna, it's just going to be there and I'm going to be, be able to watch it. So it's not like a CBS all access where I've got to like buy a new thing. Um, so I will watch it, but I, I, that, that it is a tough thing to do. And I'm not saying that I feel like, Oh, they're going to mess it up necessarily, but what they are trying to do is tell an origin story for, uh, Yennefer, which was not in the novels. They're trying to, basically begin the journey for Siri, which comes well after the short stories take place, but they're also trying to tell the short stories to do all the world building and the introduction to Geralt as a witcher, right? They're trying to do all three of those. Almost it looks like simultaneously because they're trying to bring Siri in early enough is what she's saying. The whole thing is, is that you have to get through the last wish, 
the first novel of uh, anthology of short stories for The Witcher in order for the series story to have any context or any meaning to it, why it's important. Mm. And for Yennefer and Geralt to meet for the first time and for the whole, their whole thing to take place. So how can you do that? <laughs> how can you give all that context but bring Siri in early enough to where it's like you don't have all, at least several episodes worth of stuff first before Siri can even be introduced because you have to have, I think it's the fourth short story in The Last Wish where Geralt goes to Sintra and that whole thing goes down with Pavetta, who is uh, Siri's mother, basically, and like the, the power and, and um, uh, forget his name what they call him, Dooney, I think, the, the werewolf. How can you bring Siri in early enough? So I'm just, I'm, that's a difficult thing to do. What they're trying to do, I get it, it makes sense. We have this character, we got to introduce that character early, but how can you do that without getting all the context first? So I don't know if that can work. I really don't. I'm interested to see how they do it, but definitely skeptical. The dude McGuy says, how about that last shot of the trailer with the darkened face around the eyes? Looks cool. Oh, me. did I not show that? What's well, just the very last shot of Geralt is the shot where it does actually look like pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah. Hopefully there's more of that and less of the not cool Geralt. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I think that that spider that he's fighting, oh, yeah. I could be mistaken, but it i th that was reminiscent to me of like the beginning sequence of the newest uh the newest book so yes. season of storms which i read a couple months ago um he fights like a giant spider at the beginning of that but see that one that book felt like one of the short stories in terms of its actual like scale which we're about to get into the scale stakes thing but it was actually pretty long. It was just one story that they told, not a, a bunch of short ones. But it felt like uh, similar in scale to the Last Wish level stories. Um, so I don't know how they're going to bring that in. Because that's a pretty long story. There's a lot there. Oh, Legendary Masamune. Sorry, forgot to bring this up. Um, we didn't do the podcast last week, uh, partly because my son uh, was in the hospital. So he's doing better now. Oh, I, right. He no longer needs surgery. Just wanted to make sure. I, I want to say thanks to everybody for um, reaching out and offering uh, your support. And thank you very much. My son's doing great. He doesn't need surgery. The The issue is shrinking. <laughs> and he seems to be doing better now. So all good news. Um, yeah. Since last Sorry. Week. I actually meant to bring that up at the beginning. So. Yeah, I forgot to actually. <laughs> Just had to talk so about that switch. Things, things are doing much better. Yep. Um, LARP up says, speaking of Witcher books, was season of storms ever started in the book club? No, book club we, is, we stopped the book club is we dead. Killed the book club. dead in the water. It was fun though. I enjoyed the fun. books we read. I did too. Yeah. But, uh, book club is done for now. We're not doing it. Yes. It is postponed okay. indefinitely. <laughs> um, let's move on to our main topic. Finish this off. So today we wanted to talk about um, stakes, stakes for storytelling, high stakes. How do you write a story with really high stakes when it's a low scale, 
right? Yeah. I think so often in movies and just in storytelling in general, it's a novel, whether it's a TV series, whether it's a movie, whether it's a video game, the stakes are always or tend to very often be save the world. Yes. The, the whole world's, world's at stake. imminent danger. Every time. And it's only up to you and you're a 16 year old teenager <laughs> and you got to save and the your, world. <laughs> your group of other. Yeah. Your misfit uh, preteens. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you get to save the world. That's <laughs> oh, so funny. Yeah, I mean, you know why that story resonates, trope. obviously. Oh uh, my yeah. gosh. Every story doesn't have to be that. Right. Well, here's the thing. It is the easiest way to create high stakes. Yeah. The entire world will be destroyed. Everyone on the face of the planet will be killed. Life as you know it will end. Like that on a surface level is just like intuitively feels like that's the that's the highest possible stakes there are there are, right? And I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying that that's bad or anything like that. The novel I'm writing is similar. <laughs> it's a, it's a, the world is world is the whole world's at stake, right? Like you got to save the entire planet. Um, actually even delving into more like the universe really, but so like, <laughs> there's, there's definitely something to that, that works. That's, there's a reason why it's used so much, but it can become fatiguing. And this is kind of what I've talked about a lot in the past is how repetition of any specific thing, it doesn't matter what it is, too much repetition will make you become acclimated to it. It will no longer hold any power or impact it. And so when you see a save the world story, save the world story, save the world story, the first time you see it, it's like, oh my gosh, the whole world is going to be destroyed. What are they going to do? And you really feel it. And then the next time it's like, yeah. And the next time it's like, uh, the next time it's like, uh, and then like enough times it's like, eh, it doesn't feel like it's important anymore because right. you've been through this so many times. And that's why they keep having to try to do bigger, like with, uh, like with the Marvel movies or with a lot of the superhero movies, you got to destroy, you know, a whole, a whole city. And now you got to destroy multiple whole cities. And now you got to destroy the whole planet. It yeah. And so, and the tendency as well, especially for in this age, when we're in this franchise obsessed industry now, where it's like everything you make, if it's successful, we have to turn it into like 10 more movies. Yeah. They got to just go with that thing until it's dead. Right. We're just going to keep pumping out sequels. You have yep. to then top the last one. You have to keep out doing it. You have to like go bigger and bigger and bigger every time and you already saved the world that last in that first one so what do you do now and it's it yeah. gets really tired and so i mean it just gets to the point of insanity right i think yeah. superhero comics are a great example of this because when they were self-contained they had a lot of save the city or save the world type plots but what happens how do you go bigger than that let's put them all together and have a threat so big you have to have every superhero in the entire pantheon of our collection. They have to team up to fight it because the whole universe is going to be erased. You know, it's like you have to just keep getting more and more until it just becomes absurd. Yeah. But I think the reason that I wanted to talk about this is because that's not what creates high stakes. High stakes are not created by the scale of 
of the crisis or the conflict or or whatever. That's not what makes the stakes high. Because I've seen a lot of movies where the fate of the universe is there and I feel no stakes. It's like, yeah, they're going to win. I, I don't... I don't feel like any danger. Like I don't feel the stakes, even though the scale of the thing is as big as it can get. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the superhero movies that come out feel that way to me. I feel Absolutely. no attachment to it. Absolutely. It's like, even though the scale is ridiculous and the budgets for these movies are immense and the, 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 the scale of what they're showing, the fights is so huge. I feel nothing. It's been really funny to me how when I was a kid, I went to the movies because I want to see those awesome action scenes. I really look forward to action scenes, right? right? Action scenes are awesome. And today, I sometimes stop paying attention. I will, like, get on my phone while the action scene's going on and I'm watching the movie. Uh, I will get on my phone and browse and just wait for it to be over. Uh, and when it's over and they're back into, like, more of the, 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 the drama and the development and the exposition, that's when I'll pay attention again. Um, because they've, they've just, it's become fatiguing how much bigger they have to get every time. And I'm just not impressed by it anymore. I feel nothing. Hmm. So what is happening there? To me, it's, it's the fact that movies have become, in general, more focused on action. You're seeing more and more and more screen time given to action and less and less and less screen time given to character development. Yeah, or and the context yes, for the action. <laughs> the context for the action. The important that part. That is it. That yeah. is where stakes are created, is in right. the context for the characters. The only reason I will care about success or failure is if I understand why success or failure is important to the character. It has nothing to do with how powerful the villain is or how many people will die if he's allowed to do what he wants to do or anything like that. The scale of it is irrelevant. Or a billion or a trillion. <laughs> then the fourth movie would be a quadrillion people dying now. Oh my gosh. Like, it's just a number. Once, this, you, get, once you get high enough, it doesn't actually matter. <laughs> yeah. The scale is irrelevant to how high the stakes are. The stakes are entirely created and maintained and delivered in how much we understand about how the character feels about it. For instance, in my own life, if I lock myself out of my house and I don't know where my keys are, and I, or, or I lost my car keys and I'm going to be late to the meeting or whatever, that can be exceptionally high stakes oh, yeah. for me. Because of what it means to me to miss that meeting or be late or not be able to get inside or I missed the train. That's the last train for the day. I'm freaking like 80 miles away from home. How am I going to get back? Uh, these kinds of everyday things we go through, they really suck. And it's like, oh, man, like you get so upset about it and you feel such powerful emotions because the stakes are high for you. What it means to you, the amount of 
stress it's going to bring into your life, the, the inconvenience of it. These are not life and death situations. That's not that the whole city is going to be wiped out because you lost your keys. Uh, you know, the world's not going to end, but it feels that way almost to you because of what that conflict means to you. Yeah. So if you want to create high stakes, no matter what scale it's at, you have to spend time showing the audience why the context of what this means to your character. Yeah. And if we can really understand that, we can see it, we can relate with them on that, the stakes will be really, really high. That's really like for me, the entire, that's it. There's not really that much more to say about it. Sure. I mean, it's Unless, all about character development. You, you need to write characters that you care about. And if, as long as you care about the characters, almost any thing that happens to them, you will care about, will affect you, right? I mean, yeah. think of most of the stories that you hear every day. You go to work or school or wherever you go, and somebody tells you, oh my gosh, dude, this crazy thing happened to me today. And they tell you the story. And if that story was made into a movie, it would probably be boring. It probably wasn't actually a very good story. But because you know the person, it's like, oh, man, oh, that sucks. Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. And you react more heavily because of who it happened to. Like Mike said, losing yes. your keys. So people come up and be like, oh, man, I lost my keys. Guess freaking what? They threw them in the garbage can. Oh, are you serious? Oh, that sucks. And then it turns out like, well, that's not – that's actually not that interesting of a story. And you're kind of stupid for doing that, right? But – when it's somebody that you know and care about and it's like, Oh, he does this all the time. I've seen him do, I've seen him throw his pants in the garbage before. And then it's, it's like, you have that history of that character and you know who they are and you can see in your mind how they probably went about throwing their keys in the garbage. It makes it mean so much more and it makes it just kind of, I don't know. It makes it uh, a lot more impactful of a story. I guess. Yeah. I mean, even something like, um, uh, you, you bought something new. It was, a, it was an expensive item that you purchased and then you lost it like the next day and you never found it again. Dude, that freaking sucks. I spent all that money, all that work that I did to earn the money and save for it. And then like I lost it or it got stolen the next day. That's huge stakes for the person, right? That is. Huge stakes. Yeah. Um, I got a, a comment I want to read here from uh, Jonah the Man. I already posted this, but this might help Mike. An important factor in creating high stakes is to keep the lore in-universe concepts and story beats internally consistent, possibly even rooted in the material realm. Uh, example being Final Fantasy VII's magic and materia system is tied to the life stream and Mako energy, so it does not have infinite power. This is important because the audience needs to feel as though the characters are trapped with limited time and limited options. The audience can't take the looks like he got cut off in the middle. What are you saying? But I can't yes. take seriously if they still suspect oh. that the writer. Okay, he posted it before, but I guess there's a character limit on Twitch as to how long you're uh, coming. Okay, gotcha. But yes, um, this is actually something Brandon Sanderson talks about. That we might do an episode on this a bit later because uh, I just went through this whole process in my novel of creating a rational magic system that is internally consistent and has limitations and rules that are all explained. Um, but limits, the, the, the center of, of his point is limitations are more interesting than abilities or capabilities. What it can do is not as interested as what it cannot do. It's way mm -hmm. more interesting to know what you cannot do with magic than what you can do with magic. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Because it creates conflict in internally. It's like, Oh man, this is, all I can do with this. 
all these other things I can't do. So how do I succeed with only this ability to do that? And so it makes your characters feel like geniuses when they win using the magic. Right. Whereas if you don't explain it, you have no idea. This is the problem with Harry Potter. There's always some magic that has been unexplained that serves as a deus ex machina. Yeah. And it's like, oh, magic, just you could do anything with magic if you know enough. Yeah. Versus it's way more interesting when it's like, no, you can only do this, this, and this. Now solve the problem with a limited set of tools. So that creates high stakes. Limitations yeah. create high stakes. That's a very good point. You know, um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Gandalf when you talk about magic and you don't know exactly what Gandalf can do. You don't yes. know what he's capable of doing. But he does mention multiple times what he cannot do. There are there are rules and there are matches that he just, he personally can't win. Like, for instance, he can't just go and fight Sauron himself. He can't do it. And he, I believe he admits that in his current form, Sauron's more powerful than him. But like, you don't know what that means, right? But you're like, and as 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 Gandalf, a person, you know, when you see him fight the Balrog, it's like, it wasn't this big flash of crazy magical spells. He just kind of like hit the rock on the bridge with just enough force that it started to crumble. And he just knew how to do that, you know? And he, he uses as little magic as possible. So you don't really know what Gandalf's capable of doing. But he does mention what he what he's not capable of doing. And that makes him even more mysterious and interesting as a character, I think. It's it's great that you bring that up because yeah. that was one of the examples I will bring up oh. again in a future episode <laughs> about creating ma- rational magic systems because you oh, don't yeah, always, sure. have, to, yeah. you don't always have to do yeah. this. You don't always have to explain <clears throat> how your magic works, right? You have yeah. soft and hard magic systems. And to me, the distinguishing factor is does your main character with whom the, the, the perspective of the movie or the stories through their eyes, do they use magic? You need a hard magic system. You need a rational yeah. magic system. You explain all the rules. If your main character is not using magic, like Frodo Baggins does not, then you can have a soft magic system where you don't have to explain it because through their eyes, they don't get it either. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, the hobbits don't understand how magic works, so we don't necessarily need to. Right. But, but, but like you just said, magic is almost never the answer to the problems in Lord of the Rings. True. They never, he never uses it. Well, I don't want to say never. Maybe there is an example, but <laughs> it's generally like speaking, an illusion. Magic is still very yeah. illusory in, in his world. <laughs> magic isn't, but eagles are. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. But they don't use magic yeah. to solve the problems. They have a, another issue, but anyways, we'll, we'll make oh. that a topic for a future podcast, but yeah. I know um, the last Airbender that people are bringing it up. Last Airbender and Full Metal Alchemist in um, the comments talking about limitations um, yes. on like what you could do. I think Full Metal Alchemist is so interesting because of the limitations, oh, even absolutely. though the homunculi kind of like break all the rules and whatever. But um, you know, there are certain things you can't do, and if you don't have the right materials, you can't. You basically can't do anything, mm-hmm. and like that's pretty cool. Whereas Harry Potter, it's just. You, you need your wand, I guess. But as long as you have your wand, like you can do whatever you want. Yep. Um, okay. So, oh, yeah. so, okay, keep going. I was just going to say, did you have somebody that you were going to read there? Uh, I've got two comments here, but... Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so we've got Hydrated Cloth says, I'd say you need to write characters really well, and many pop culture writers right now are focused more on plot and events than characters. Yes. 
Whereas the stories that we talked about, such as losing your keys, that only, have you ever told a story once and nobody laughs and you're like, I had to be there, right? Yeah, you had to be there. Well, Mm -hmm. what you're really saying when you say, oh, you had to be there is, oh, the character development and the many hours of time being spent with these people made it funny in a way that you wouldn't understand unless you were, you know, unless you knew these people. In other words, the person telling the story is a bad storyteller. Sure, exactly. They didn't provide but, the context and the character you talk, development. You talked about like, oh, what about like um, you? somebody like loses, what is it? They bought something with their hard-earned money and then they ended up losing it or something like that. Um, you, They know how many hours they worked, right? Yes. They know how long. They and, went through it. You slog through that whole thing and then you get the reward, which is a sweet steak that you dropped on the ground. Oh, shoot, you know? Yeah. But um if you just tell the story, this dude dropped his stake on the ground. It doesn't have any impact. You've got to show the hours worked. You've got to talk about what job was he doing for all those hours to make that money. Did it sure. suck? Probably. And how many hours did he have to work? And you can't just say how many hours he had to work. You have to really go into the experience of what it's like to work those hours and then come out of it and lose all of your money or whatever. Yep. So what you're really saying when you say you had to be there is that you know the character... It, yeah, it's true. The character development uh, wasn't there, and it's, you probably don't have the time to expand on the character in a way that would uh, be efficient with your, your, yeah. your time. And, you know, it's, again, this is not a knock on Save the World stories or life and death stories. That is sure. about the most intuitive way to create high stakes that there is. All yeah. of us have an instinct. Those stories to- have been told for thousands of years. We all have an instinct to preserve our own life and to survive. Like death is literally the worst thing that could happen to any individual. That is the highest stakes you can have, not being alive anymore, dying. That sucks, right? So it's like the easiest thing to tap into to get the point across that it's a life or death situation. That's as high as stakes can get from like a plot perspective, I guess, right? But like we're saying... A lot of a lot of stories today are focused too like focused on the plot, not often the characters and establishing what it means to the characters. You don't have to make that the conflict in order for the stakes to feel just as high or close to it at least. Yeah. And and that's well, all about getting way more personal with the story. Instead of focusing on the external conflict, we have to go into the character and find out what makes what is the context that makes this situation so important to the person makes it so stressful makes it so um urgent to the character creating urgency through character development is what's important uh we just lost Kason. he'll be back momentarily um and i'm going to want him here for this next part because we wanted to go through and give some of our favorite examples of stories that do this, that don't have an end of the world or a um, uh, a life or death sort of situation being what the stakes are. Um, but but they still feel really high stakes, right? I'm going to read some uh, comments until he gets back. Uh, John, Jonah the man says the audience can't take the story seriously if they suspect that the writer is going to pull out a magical resolve button in the last 10 minutes. Exactly. And that is literally what every Harry Potter story is, is pulling out the resolve, the magical resolve button. Hold on. There you are. Um, right. And there's a third. Good. 
<laughs> and it looks like there's three, but it's actually just two of you. Um, actually, I think you're you're still you're still lagging a bit. Hold on. It looked like it might have caught up, but now you're frozen again. Ah, uh, sorry. I can hear you though, so that's good. Um, okay. Before I lose again, you still there? Crap, he's not there. Let me read a couple more. Uh, Jonah the Man says Final Fantasy 13 has this exact problem. Totally agree. Um, the fake Final Fantasy origin story had the stakes quite high, being the Final Fantasy and all. <laughs> I guess like the behind the scenes, right? For the developers. Colin Peluso, the stake dropping on the ground, that's pretty low stakes. Uh, the audience can't take the story seriously if they suspect that the writer is going to pull Oh, I you saw that. Saving the world with the four or five of your best friends is a story I couldn't possibly relate to on any level, says uh, Onwed, or Onwed. I much prefer stories like Suikoden 1 and 2, where you're just fighting over scraps of land and largely just... Uh, a tool being manipulated by runes, by strategists, by backstabbers around you. Yeah, I I, I think the first time I kind of started thinking about this as a topic for the podcast was when I was playing through Final Fantasy XII, because Final Fantasy XII's story is similar um, to like Suikoden 1, for instance. Uh, it, it's a smaller region. It's not like an end of the world type of scenario. Um, it still has like the fate of the kingdom kind of there which is similar in scale, not quite as high, but uh, you can go even much lower than that, and I'm sure you're aware of that, but I think Suikoden 1 is a good example. We're really struggling to get Kaysen back here. Um, let me send him a text. Really? Oops. Struggling. Oh, there you are. Nope, he's gone. <laughs> we'll let him try one more time before we move on to uh, sharing some examples. Okay, let's do this quick while you're here. Okay. Got it. Is it an example you want to share? Holy balls. Yes, I do have some of these as an example. However, my internet now. My internet's Doing very bad things right now. Oh, so can I, I just text you my text me the answer. I'll share it on the stream. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna shoot it to you. Actually, I might just throw it in the comment. Just be sure to read the comment, okay? Okay, he's gonna put it into the Twitch chat. Okay. It goes along the lines with John of the Man. He he said, one death is a tragedy, a million is a statistic. Okay. Here's Great my point. message. Okay, he's typing it in. Oh, no, shoot. But actually, that reminds me of something I was going to say earlier. You were talking about, um, you know, when you know the person, it's way more impactful, right? Yeah. It, it, it that's like kind of... I've, I've made this point before um, with storytelling, too. It's like, it's like the difference between your best friend being murdered and then hearing about a random person on the news you don't know being yeah. murdered, right? Yeah. It's like, one's going to make you be destroyed inside for a long time you'll have a loss that you'll never probably ever really recover from you'll probably move on with life or whatever right. but like that the pain of that will live with you forever yeah. versus the same exact murder happening to some stranger you never met before 
you go, oh, it's too bad. And you don't think about it ever again. Yeah. So it's the same thing yeah. with a movie, the characters, the, the your character, character development. That's the only if, difference. If your character is a stranger to the audience, then guess what? We won't care if he lives or dies or if she lives or dies or if they fail or succeed. But if we know them personally, we know what the conflict means to them. We know how important it is to them. We, we love that person. All of a sudden it, we're really engaged. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it looks like I'm, um, you're back. My internet's stable. So I'll just go ahead and say this real quick. Yeah. Um, so the question is, which, which do you care about more? Well, I said this before, but I'll say it again. 100,000 Yemenis being killed in a blockade or your best friend of 20 years dying. How about a pet dog or a cat, right? Sure. You will likely care more about your pet dog dying than 100,000 people dying over in a country because of a war and famine and stuff they can't do anything about. Yeah. That's, just, that's just how humans are, right? So when it's someone you're close to, when you've grown attached, it doesn't matter if the whole world gets destroyed as long as that person lives, right? So creating good enough characters so that the stakes become losing them or them getting hurt. High stakes, but not really saving the world. Another way of putting this would be quality over quantity. It's not just the number of things happening. It's the quality of what's happening. You know, what kind of character is this happening to? A throwaway character who had like two lines or, you know, one of the main characters you've actually spent time developing. So am I still here? Yeah, you're still here. You're good. Okay. So this is my example was my, my personal, I think the best example I could think of was Toy Story, right? So what were the stakes in Toy Story? The stakes were there's a the kid might lose his toys, right? Maybe. Or, or for Woody, maybe he, I'm not going to be the favorite toy anymore. Woody. Yeah, sure. Like in, um, yeah. in the first one, it's Woody mm. not being the favorite toy anymore. The freaking, the favorite toy anymore. Mm. Now they're alive. So they're p- people. So maybe it's more like, Oh, my best friend. I'm not the favorite friend anymore. Or maybe mm. like of a kid with a parent and then the parent has a new baby and it's like, Oh, I'm not the favorite kid anymore. Those stakes are so low, like not even stakes. The conflict there is so nothing. It's so like small and minuscule. And even what ends up happening later. Okay, now I know Sid. Sid is a, a, there. there is the threat of them maybe dying because of Sid, right? Mm -hmm. But even still, they're, they're freaking toys. And even after the Sid thing is done with, it's like, and they're flying around and they, the, the whole point is they got to get back to Andy. They got to get back to Andy. Otherwise they're lost. It's kind of like homeward bound, right? There's the, the dogs. Yeah. You got to get back to the person mm-hmm. who owns you. And the stakes for that are just, it, it's just, they're incredibly low, but my gosh, are the, the toy story movies are really good. Those are some mm-hmm. of the best movies ever made in my opinion. And like, what, what is the potential downside here? It's, it's like, the toys will be lost or it's, it's just not that big of a deal, but because of the character development, it becomes a huge deal and you become so attached that even a small thing happened, like Woody's arm getting ripped and he can't go to cowboy camp. Now you feel that that's a big deal, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. It's the, the scale of the conflict very low, but the personal yeah. stakes for Woody really, really high, extremely high. That is yeah. literally his whole world. Andy is Woody's entire world. Yep. And they really make you feel that. And it's like, Mm. oh man, if I'm not the favorite toy. His entire worth is attached to that. He does get over it. That's one of the things I love about the movies. Yeah, his self-worth, his uh, everything he he has is attached to that. And 
man, just very well done. And without the character development, without understanding Woody's life and all that kind of stuff, and and you know, without the interactions with the other toys, and just everything was done so masterfully, you would not give a fetch about any yeah. of these characters, any any um, of these toys, any of the stupid stuff that's happening here. Um, I think my favorite example that I wanted to bring up was Dead Poet Society. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, really, really good movie if you haven't seen it. Yeah, um, very good. Again, like the personal stakes there for the characters, this is like a like a really rigid, like um, highbrow kind of prep school. I don't know if that's exactly the right terminology for it. But even still, these kids all go there with high expectations set on them by their parents, and they're expected to follow a certain course in their career. And they're not allowed to do anything but focus on their studies and literally just live their entire lives with the, with the singular goal of pleasing their parents. That's kind of like what most of these kids are going through, right? And so hmm. the, the type of teachers they have at these schools, they're, they're very traditional and old-fashioned. They really sort of like figuratively beat them into that course and into that line of thinking, this very narrow-minded singular way of thinking and and uh living your life and um robin williams character is a teacher that comes and who was a former student at this school as well which is why he gets the job because he was an alum an uh, alumni of this is that right uh, alumnus whatever alumnus, it's called. yeah uh, of the school but his entire purpose is to break these kids of that mindset and free them from that and get them to see the world in many different ways and to write poetry and be creative and express themselves, which they've never been allowed to do before. And so the stakes in that movie, literally, they discover, these boys discover themselves for the first time. They are allowed in this setting, in this classroom, and then elsewhere in this society, this dead poet society they create to express who they really are for the first time. And so the stakes of that movie are losing that, going back to not living true to yourself, right? Mm. And the stakes are so high for certain characters, I won't spoil the movie, that it, it, it gets into some really dark territory. Sure. And I think... I think of all of the of the movies I could think of off the top of my head or by reading lists, that was one of the best examples of it not being a large scale by any means. Uh, it's not really a life or death scenario. It's it's <laughs> there's not a threat to even just the school at large. It's it's really small scale, really personal stories of these kids who we have seen the whole movie. We see how their parents treated them. We see the expectations put on them. We see, you know, the path that they've been set on life. We see how they struggle with that. We see how they're not really alive. They're just kind of going through the motions. They're constantly afraid of like what people are going to think about them if they do something wrong. Like, and then they discover who they are and their whole world opens up and you really become attached to that version of them because that's the real person you've just found him and then the threat of that being taken away is man it's it's depressing it's like no like no you can't you can't go back to that no like and yeah. anyways amazing movie everyone should see it um 
but I think those are two really good examples. There are probably yeah. many others you could think of. Um, I thought well, maybe what about because like, those are both movies. What about like some video games? Can you think of a video game that has low stakes but somehow still like works really well as a game? I feel like games fall into the save the world trope more often than any other. Yeah, uh, medium. And I mean, I novels <laughs> novels have I think even more freedom to 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 explore stuff that's not like end of the world type stuff because yeah. even for movies like in hollywood it's like oh we want to like sell people on the experience it's a big experience when you go to the movies it's all about being big right this is something yes. you can't get at home yeah so big they screen, tend big sound yeah yeah so video games and movies tend to really lean in that direction novels i think more often can ex- explore the more personal stuff uh, but it's true probably yeah um hydrocloss says psychonauts you enter individual minds. I've never played Psychonauts. Hmm. Um, Hydrocloth also said, what about the show, a show like Buffy the Vampire Slayer where they intentionally downplay the world ending stakes and elevate the everyday stuff? That is... Um, I haven't seen Buffy. I don't funny. Know. I haven't either. Um, yeah, don't know what to say about that, but that sounds interesting. That sounds sort of like a comedy kind of thing, like a, a Shaun of the Dead kind of thing where it's like the world's ending, but oh man, my girlfriend wants to break up with me. I'm so, you know, and even though zombie apocalypse is happening, the movie's really about this guy trying to get back with his ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a comedy thing. You can kind of turn the stakes around in that sense, but I don't see that often being done in a dramatic way, I guess. Yeah. But maybe Buffy the Vampire Slayer does that. Now here's something that I wanted to talk about next week, and maybe this might this could actually bleed into two other topics. Hat eighty nine says this is an interesting topic though, because even in historical retellings in which you already know how it ends, the stakes are still high because of what it means to the fictional characters you've gone attached to. And this is my whole point about prequels that we talked about before. In prequels, you know the end, yeah. so you can't focus on the plot. Yes, you just the, can't. You can't. The plot can't be the focus because there's no stakes in the plot. We know how it ends. You have yeah. to dive into the individual. You have to dive into the character, explore why it's important to them in order for us to really like get some meaning out of it. Sure. Right? That would be the only, or maybe not the only, but that would be probably the best way to, the best reason to make a prequel is to dive and, into character. Stuff. And next week, we're going to talk about remakes. And I feel the same way about remakes. Remakes have the same problem. If you're a person who consumed the original thing, if you're going to add more to the plot, it's like, (laughs) why add, why add additional things to the plot? Unless you're clarifying something. It's like, this was a very confusing thing. People didn't understand this. So we're going to add this plot device in order to help that be understood better. That's one thing, but just, Adding additional plot for the sake of making the plot bigger or the scale higher or just like, I don't understand that. What you should do, in my opinion, is define the characters better. Is really dive into what it means to them. And uh, in the Final Fantasy VII remake, I see kind of both things going on there. I see them adding things to the plot that seem to not really be necessary. Like the... I forget what they call them, but the little Dementor ghosts that like fly around. Um, they they're adding like these spirits that follow the characters around everywhere they go. Oh, totally yeah. unrelated to the original game was never. Yeah, in. what is the world's no going idea there. what that is. 
That's the kind um, of thing. I, of course, I'll wait to see how they implement that. Right? I have no idea how that's going to be implemented. I have suspicions that it's going to be totally unnecessary and needless to add that particular thing. But mm-hmm. what I do like is that they're really deepening the characters' conflicting feelings about uh, what they're doing in Avalanche, the the eco terrorism that they're a part of. Yeah, right? that's good stuff. That's the kind of thing you make remakes for is to deepen that sort of exactly. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think at the heart of it all, again, stakes are created through the context that the, the reasons why the character thinks it matters, why they feel it's important or urgent. If we get that, the stakes will be high, no matter what scale they're at. Scale's irrelevant. As long as we it's know basic. how important. That's, that's, that's the exact um, conclusion that I came to, essentially. The scale is almost, is basically completely irrelevant. It's yeah. all about the care. Who is it happening to? I don't care what happens. Who is it happening to? That's what makes me care or not. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm. All right. That all is right. the end of our podcast this week. I'm going to read a couple of uh, comments here. Yeah. Guys, give us some community stories. Hat89 says, this is why TNG was so good. It focused on the characters. They had to because you knew everyone was going uh, to resolve at the end. You knew, or you knew everyone was going to uh, resolve at the end. Yes. Star Trek was great when it was philosophical, when it was character driven, right? The show mm. was never good because, oh, the Borg are going to destroy Earth, everyone. Oh, no. The entire human civilization is going to be assimilated. That wasn't why it was cool. In fact, that got so fatiguing that it became <laughs> silly. Yeah. The the Borg being reused as this world-ending threat over and over again started to make it suck. That's not what was important. What was important is that Picard became a Borg. Holy crap. We love him. How do we get him back? No. Locutus. Who is... Like, like, that is why that was so impactful. That the ending of that. It was not about the Borg or on their way to Earth. We have no chance to fight them. It's basically we're entirely doomed. It was... Locutus stepped in front of the screen and said, uh, just, uh, it's just, just go watch it. Watch the end of season three. That scene is so amazing. Yeah. Resistance is futile. The person they've all grown to love is their captain. They admire, they look up to him. It's just like, holy crap, we have to kill this Borg cube. We have to kill our captain. It's like, that's, and it ends kind of on a fire. Like the, it's just so good, man. It's in, insanely good. Anyway, good point. Had any nine. Very good point. Somebody else I brought am, up the shining and how at the beginning of the shining, you know, essentially how it's going to end, but true. you get to see the descent yes. into madness <laughs> of that character. And that's where the real, horror kind of sets in for the film so um anyone else i mean we have a lot you guys are doing great i appreciate we appreciate all the comments i know we can only ever read a couple but thanks for all the engagement that you guys provide it really helps the the podcast to to move along and to you know we we get a lot of ideas from your comments also the corrections too one thing yes that, uh, <laughs> and you telling s- us who freaking captain picard's <laughs> actor is my gosh we can't remember like, when so we first <laughs> started podcasting like three years ago or whatever right we yeah. would record it 
and then upload yes. it later. And then oh, we'd have all these people being like, this was wrong. You said this, so I was wrong. <laughs> and it's like, dang it. Like, dang it. <laughs> but now it's like we can be corrected immediately. So uh, yeah. people who watch it later are like, oh, yeah, they got it right because we eventually we got it right. midstream, right? Yeah. That's good. Um, Colin right. Pluso, you didn't read any of my epic stake stories. Well, they were mostly puns. Yeah, I, Colin. I did guys. read them. I just did not repeat them. <laughs> Enough with the low stakes, high stakes business. It's become fatiguing that the impact is worn off with the repetition, guys. <laughs> they were very funny, but my See, God. See, that's true in comedy too. Like you cannot repeat the same beat. You can't. Uh, it goes back to the, um, who says it? It's, uh, it's Robert McKee talking yep. about the rule of threes, I think it is. If it, it, with dialogue, like if you say something once, great. You say it again, it loses its impact. You say it a third time, people start laughing at it, right? Like you mm-hmm. can't say the same thing three times in your same conversation. Right. Uh, I think the the example he uses is character A says, "Come here, I have to talk to you." Character B says, "No, I want to be left alone." Character A says, "No." It's really important that you let me say what I have to say. Character B says, no, I'm tired of this. I want to go away. Character A says, no, you must listen to what I have to say. Character B is like, I am not going to listen. I'm leaving. Like, if you do that three times, see, you started laughing, right? The third well, yeah, time. yeah, that does make it funny. That is a comedic kind of thing. Like, it, 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 it loses its impact. And even right. in comedy, that's true. If you repeat the same joke, yeah. The second time, it's like, okay, got it. You repeat it the third time, it's like, dude, I get it. <laughs> steak is... and steak. The word steak and steak yeah. are spelled differently, <laughs> but they sound the same. But they're pronounced the same. I get it. <laughs> I, I did I did have to laugh out loud when I mentioned the guy bought his steak. I probably even used the example of steak because of the chat. But um, he dropped it on the ground, and oh, he worked so hard for 20 hours to buy that steak. It was a $100 Kobe beef steak. And he drops it, and then... Colin yes. Peluso's like, well, the he low dropped stakes. his stakes. Those are pretty low stakes. I did uh, have to right. laugh at that. That but was a good joke. That was a good joke. <laughs> that was That's why I read that one. <laughs> that was why but I read that one. Good I one. feel like there was some amount of um, like self-awareness that, oh, I we've made the same joke too many times. It's not funny anymore. But isn't it so funny that we're still making the same <laughs> joke so many times, even though it's not funny anymore? And there's like True. this inside joke kind of thing that gets built among the community. I think. Now we're anyway, getting into re- the deep it, technicalities. It's funny comedy. because it's not funny. It's like a what do you call it? It's like a next level meme kind of thing. Um. Yeah. Colin Peluso, master of master of jokes. <laughs> yeah. He's he's on another level. Um, okay. That's it for this week, everybody. Thank you for joining us. It's a good discussion. I thought Uh, so. We'll see you again next week. We're talking about remakes. We're going to be talking about remakes. I think I'm going to try and see that Lion King movie, this new one. Because all I've heard, all Mm -hmm. I've heard like about it since it's come out is this is a soulless shot for shot remake of the original done in cgi and it loses all of its character we've talked about how facial animation and stuff is lost when you try to make it all like realistic and stuff and there's like a whole element to the original you can't carry over i'm gonna see it for the purpose of analyzation and talking about remakes next week on the podcast well that's a good idea i may not i may not see it but (laughs) i wouldn't blame anyone for not seeing it It doesn't look i haven't seen (laughs) the single disney remake the only one i have seen is maleficent and that's arguably not even a remake it's just a different angle of the story but i haven't seen any of the remakes yet none of them have really appealed to me 
I like the originals, you know, why, why remake it? Yep. Also, we're going to talk about that next week. <laughs> yeah. Also, Jonah, the man is actually correct. And this is why I think they felt so soulless. Disney is only making these movies for copyright reasons. They're trying to maintain the uh, license and copyright on the property. Oh, they're freaking genius. Oh, I didn't even That's exactly that. why they're doing it. Disney, dude, they're... That's exactly why they're doing it. I hate it. them and I love them, but I hate them too a lot. Yep. They That's kind of they know how, how you feel. I feel that way literally about like every large corporation. I know. Especially in video games. I love Nintendo. Greatest company. Yeah, Nintendo's the greatest. I hate oh, Nintendo. <laughs> I freaking hate YouTube too while we're at it. My I God. hate YouTube. Cool YouTube's also <laughs> afforded me some of the greatest possibilities of my entire life. I've had oh some of the most gosh, fun of my life making YouTube terrible? videos. I love YouTube for what it's what it's allowed me to be able to do, but I hate I hate them. There's literally always that other side of the coin with corporations. Yeah. The, the greed. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But they still have provided lots of like really, really great know. memories for me, you know, like I don't know. There's a lot of happiness created. There's also a lot of misery created. Like, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Mr. Jackal, Mr. Uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. There you hey, go. For real, we're done. Okay, Love bye. everybody. <laughs> have a good one. Peace out. Thank you.